Welcome to the 10-Minute Medic. I'm your host, Dr. Bill Young. We're in the middle of a series on pediatric advanced life support, and we're going to continue with that series today as we look at what it takes to be successful as a resuscitation team. In order for any resuscitation effort to be successful, the team leader and the team members must be able to successfully accomplish a number of different tasks, and they have to do these quite often simultaneously. In this podcast, we'll take a look at some of the variables that make up an effectively functioning resuscitation team. In addition to having impeccable cardiac arrest treatment skills, the best resuscitation teams are also experts in two-way closed-loop communication. Regardless of whether you're functioning as a team member or a team leader, it's important that you understand your roles and be able to function flawlessly with the other members of your team. One of the most important things that we can do during a cardiac arrest resuscitation is to effectively communicate with each other. Unfortunately, that also happens to be one of the most difficult skills to learn. We spoke earlier of closed-loop communications. The team leader should initiate this by giving clear, concise orders to his or her team members while making eye contact so that both the team member and the team leader understands that the message has been delivered and understood. After receiving an order, the team member should always confirm the order back to the team leader. Part of clearly communicating is to be able to control one's emotions during the heat of battle. There should not be any yelling or shouting during a cardiac arrest resuscitation. One of the most important concepts that needs to be grasped in regards to cardiac resuscitation is that of knowledge sharing. Prior to September 11, 2001, most if not all of the federal law enforcement agencies in America functioned in silos, being loath to share information with anyone else lest they have to share the limelight with another agency. Many felt that this was a contributing factor to the occurrence of September 11, and thus the Department of Homeland Security was born. The plan was to have all agencies under one great big umbrella, break down the silos, and allow the information to flow freely and quickly to those who had need of it. Although it's not quite worked as well as leaders would have hoped, the concept is a critical one and a great example of how information should be shared with all members of the resuscitation team. Your ACLS textbook speaks of a problem in communication known as the fixation error. According to Dr. Rafael Ortega, fixation error is a type of cognitive error in which individuals and teams focus on one aspect of a situation while ignoring more relevant information. In other words, you can't see the forest for the trees. The presence of fixation errors will almost always lead to medical errors. Team members and team leaders alike must be able to step in respectfully and point out any impending errors or those that have already occurred. Although it sounds somewhat corny, but at this time during the resuscitation, whether or not a team has respect for each other will become quite evident. There's no one on your team that has yet reached the level of perfection, and it's not a question of whether you will or will not make a mistake, only when. Although not the most enjoyable activity, each team member should have the right and be encouraged to respectfully question another team member even if the team leader as to the why of the resuscitation effort. If members of your team are intimidated by a leader who can never imagine themselves as being wrong, they'll never rise up and question an action by that leader. This could lead to a catastrophic outcome for the patient, the team, and your EMS agency. Those who are respectful with each other will generally have a more successful resuscitation than those who don't. As we stated earlier, there's no room for ego while caring for a patient in cardiac arrest. As that great philosopher of the 1970s, Dirty Harry Callahan, once said, a man has to know his limitations. 
This is never more true than on the resuscitation team. This is not the time to practice or try new skills. Keep in mind, if it is not a sign of weakness nor of incompetence for you to let your team leader know that you don't feel that you're capable of accomplishing a particular task, you can then be reassigned to some other area that is just as important and just as critical to the, to the resuscitation, yet it feels pretty comfortable to you. The team should be structured so that when mistakes are made, they can be quickly identified and corrected. Constructive criticism does not have to be a four-letter word. When delivered and received correctly, constructive criticism can be the EMS responder's best friend, allowing her to grow into a better healthcare provider. In the same vein, constructive intervention is also crucial. All members of the team must be able to intervene when something is about to go wrong during the resuscitation. As humans, many times it's easier to simply to go along to get along and never say anything, especially if you're a team member. Asking the question why should not only be acceptable, but encouraged. In addition, the team should be involved in any after-action reports so that any failures can be classified as whether they were knowledge-based or systems-based lapses and correction on these should take place immediately, as well as the information or the lessons learned from the incident shared with all members and other members of the healthcare community. Thanks for taking time to listen to the 10-Minute Medic. If you don't mind, take a moment to leave us a review on your favorite podcast app platform. We're going to continue with the Pediatric Advanced Life Support theme with our next podcast and take a look at an organized and systematic approach to assessing the sick child. I sure hope you'll join us. Thanks again.